0: So let's get into Revelation 22. We've labeled this morning's message the, the final word. And again, we look at this end time calendar that I've been having on the screen for the last three weeks, just to kind of give you a timeline of where things are at. And where we are at literally is over here in the last section over here where it says new heavens and the new earth and new Jerusalem. We are at the end of the end. And we're going to finish the, the book of Revelation this morning. That's my hope and I believe it's possible. We're also going to take communion. So let's go ahead and just get right into it, and let's read chapter 22. Let's look at the first five verses. It says, And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb, and in the middle of its street, and on either side of Excuse me, I think I messed that up. Let's back up. Verse 2. In the middle of its street and on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore 12 fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations, and there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants, you and I, shall serve him, and they shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads, and there shall be no night there, they need no lamp nor light of the sun, nor the for the Lord God gives them light, and they shall reign forever and ever, ever and ever. And uh, what a wonderful description, again, as we have looked at um, the book of Revelation, and especially in this chapter, we have seen that... Remember last week we were looking at the New Jerusalem and really from Revelation 21, verse 9, you can just take a quick peek at it if you want, just so you can kind of see it. But Revelation 21, verse 9, all the way until the end of what we just read now in 22, verse 5, that's really the description that we have of New Jerusalem. It's the clearest description of the New Jerusalem, which is our ultimate uh, eternal state for the believer. The eternal state for the believer. This is what we will call heaven. I mean, when we die, we know we go to heaven. But heaven, after we die, is just a temporary place. Until God brings us back in uh, in his second coming. And we live and rule and reign for a thousand years on this earth. And then at the end of that thousand years... A new heavens, a new earth, a new Jerusalem, the devil, and all that stuff is dealt with. And finally, we dwell in this place of bliss forever and ever and ever, and that is it. It never ends. I don't know about you, but I long for that day. I really do. There's nothing on this earth that holds my affection. I mean, certainly I love my wife, I love my daughter, I love my family, I love all of you, I love doing what we get to do. But there is nothing greater than to be with Jesus and to be in the absence, to be even void, to be, to be free of this body of death, as Paul would call it. <laughs> who will deliver me from this body of death? And we know who, who, who does that. It's Jesus. And we will spend an eternity. I, I, I love to think, and I would encourage you to think about this often as you consider your salvation. Think often about that thought. Read Revelation 21 verse 9 through 22 verse 5 and get, let your heart be carried away with the wonder of it all and, and fast forward a million years if your imagination can do so. And then another million years, a trillion years. Do you understand it? it'll never end. And see, that's the, that's the joy. That's the wonderful hope that you and I have and people who don't know Christ and are outside of Christ they don't they will not have that experience it'll be just the opposite they will spend an eternity separated from God in hell in the lake of fire i mean to me it's lunacy that anybody would reject Jesus why would they do that i can tell you why because number 1 they don't believe and they like their sin more than they than they than they love God but such were some of us but we've been washed but we've been cleansed. We've been healed. And regardless of our practical day-to-day experiences of failure and sin... We confess to God our sins, and he is just and faithful to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And our names are written in the Lamb's book of life in spite of all of that, and yet God is going to redeem this body soon. And I hope it's today when he takes us from the earth and we are transformed in a body just like Jesus' body on the day of his resurrection. Did you notice that when they went into the tomb, there was no body? There was no shell lying there? Everything that you are is going to be changed, and there's going to be nothing left behind. It's going to be changed and transformed and taken out. I like that. It's an upgrade. But these verses speak of that new Jerusalem, a wonderful description of it, and um In the first two verses, it tells us that there's a a river of water of life in this new Jerusalem and also the tree of life. It's interesting to me how the first two verses of this last chapter of the last book in the Bible, it brings us all the way back to the beginning again. And what do I mean by that? We know that in Genesis chapter 20, uh, excuse me, Genesis chapter 2, it talks about in the very beginning this river of water of life and the tree of life. In the garden of Eden, before sin came into the world, before the fall of man, what does it say? The Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed, Adam. And out of the ground of the Lord God made every tree grow that was pleasant to the sight and good for food. And the tree of life was also in the midst of the garden, notice. And the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, we know that's the one they got in trouble with. Now a river, notice, so it talked about the tree of life being in the Garden of Eden, and it also talks about a river that went out of Eden to water the garden, and from there it parted and became four riverheads. Four riverheads. So even in the garden we see this, and so revelation, it's almost like the Lord is bookending everything, bookending this idea of a tree of life and the river of living water. It was at the beginning, and it's going to be at the end when we are in the new Jerusalem. Do you ever wonder what it must have been like before the fall of man when Adam would walk in the cool of the day and he would walk with God? Can you imagine the fellowship that they had? Can you imagine the joy it was for there not to be death at that time? To know that God created all these different animals and Adam could walk among the tigers and the bears and the lions. He could walk among them and have no fear. In Revelation chapter 2, verse 7, remember what Jesus said, a promise that he actually gave to the church at Ephesus. He says, To him who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And he says, To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Do you understand that Jesus, in the beginning of Revelation, as he's talking to those seven churches in Asia Minor, he's also prophesying of what's coming because he said it right he said this is what i'm going to do this is a promise that i'm going to give to you and that includes all of us him who overcomes i will give to eat from the tree of life which is in the midst of the paradise of god that's what we're destined for folks This paradise not cabo san lucas not some fancy place in the in the caribbean the paradise of god which dwarfs it all but Jesus was prophesying of it. Later on, we'll know in, in, uh, in this chapter, in the 14th verse, he'll say, blessed are those who do his commandments that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates of the city. I love that thought, that we will enter the gates. And I wonder if one of us, and it'll probably be me, because or David, or someone else, maybe we'll sing, or oh, when the saints go marching in, well, we remember the old songs as we come in. Maybe there'll be a new song that we will sing when we come in. Notice in verse 1, it says that he showed me a river of of water of life. He, this angel, it's referring to the angel back in twenty one, uh, chapter 21, verse 9 and verse 15. This is the one of the angels who had the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues that brought it out upon the earth at the commandment of God. And notice this stream, this water of life, I think of the psalmist, I believe it was um, uh, Korah, who said this. And in, In this psalm, he's speaking probably of the millennial kingdom, which we've already talked about, but could also be speaking of this yet future place to even after the millennium, this new Jerusalem. The psalmist says this, There is a river whose streams shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. God is in the midst of her, and she shall be... Shall, she shall not be moved. God shall help her just at the break of dawn. And I love the thought of that, that even in the millennial reign, there'll be a river coming forth from Jerusalem. And in the new Jerusalem, there'll be a river, a river of life. And you remember in, in Zechariah, uh, chapter 14, verse 8, I'll just read this to you. Beginning in verse 8, it says, And in that day, and Zechariah speaking of the millennial reign... Not, not the new Jerusalem, but the millennial reign. In that day it shall be that living water shall flow from Jerusalem. And this is really just review from what we've already covered. Half of them toward the Eastern Sea, which from Jerusalem, the Eastern Sea is the Dead Sea, and half of them toward the Western Sea, which is the Mediterranean. Notice, in both summer and winter it shall occur, and the Lord shall be king over all of the earth. That's what's going to happen in the new, or in, excuse me, in the millennial reign. And there's going to be another river of water in the new Jerusalem in Ezekiel 47 Ezekiel speaks of this river of living water coming out south of the altar in the millennial temple in Ezekiel 47 in the first 12 verses we're not going to look at all 12 verses but he says that the water was flowing from under the right side of the temple south of the altar and this water as as Zechariah told us will come out from the the altar and it will go down each side of Mount Moriah, which is where Jerusalem is, and the water will go like this, to the Dead Sea and all the way down and then over into the Mediterranean. And what does it say down in verse 7? The, the angel who was talking to Ezekiel at the time, he says, When I returned there, along the bank of the river were very many trees. Does this sound familiar? This is the, the millennial rain, and we're going to see a very similar thing in the New Jerusalem. But Ezekiel says, When I returned there, along the bank of the river, there were many trees on one side and the other. And then he said to me, this water flows toward the eastern region, goes down into the valley, the Jordan Valley, of course, and enters the sea, the Dead Sea. And when it reaches the sea, its waters are healed. I love the fact that the Dead Sea will be healed. We go there today and we float around and we collect samples and we take them back and we get busted through customs because they see all of the you know, spectrograph of all the chemicals and they think we're bringing a nuclear bomb on board. <laughs> but it shall be that every living thing that moves wherever the rivers go will live. And again, the millennial rain, and there will be a great multitude of fish because these waters go there, for they will be healed, and everything will live wherever the river goes. And it shall be that fishermen will stand by it from En Gedi. They're going to stand. If you've been to Israel with us, En Gedi is right there. You, can, you look out En Gedi, and you see the northern part of the Dead Sea. I can see it in my eyes right now. And yet one day that's going to be filled with fresh water. It's no longer going to be dead. But along the bank of the river, on this side and that, will grow all kinds of trees used for food. Their leaves will not wither. Their fruit shall not fail. They will bear fruit every month because their water flows from the sanctuary in Jerusalem. Their fruit will be for food. And notice, and their leaves for medicine. Does that sound familiar with what we're reading right now? Sounds very familiar. In the millennium and in the new Jerusalem, we will have this tree of life and this river of water giving life. It's not necessary, it seems, because we're not kept alive by the water or the fruit of the tree. God is the one who keeps us. Amen? But notice in verse 2, in the middle of the street, now we're back in New Jerusalem. In the middle of its street, it's sort of like a boulevard. Picture it in your mind. In the middle of the street, there's probably a big street going right down through New Jerusalem. And it's going to be a long street because we looked at the dimensions of it. 1,500 miles in length and breadth and height. That's a long boulevard. And what does it say? In the middle of its street and on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore 12 fruits. And notice, each tree yielding its fruit every month. What a blessing that'll be. I want to taste those mangoes, if there are mangoes. And the trees of the tree were for the healing of the nations. For the healing of the nations. That's interesting, isn't it? Revelation says, he To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life which is in the midst of the paradise of God. I love the fact of that. And you know, when you think about this tree of life and you think about this river of water, who is that to us? What character describes that to us? It's really none other than Jesus himself. He really is the tree of life. He really is. In John's 15th chapter of John's gospel, what does it say? Jesus said, I am the true vine. And my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. And then Jesus says, I am the vine and abide in me. You are the branches. And if you abide in me, you'll bear much fruit. And so he is the source of everything. We are the branches. He is the tree in a sense. In Isaiah chapter 11, it speaks of Jesus from coming from the um, from Jesse, we know that in the flesh Jesus came through the line of Judah, the same line that King David came from, and yet He preexisted all of it. In Isaiah eleven, what does it say? It says there shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of its roots. Speaking of Christ. But Jesus is also the fountain of the living waters. In Jeremiah chapter 2, what does it say? He says, as the Lord is really upbraiding Jerusalem for its sin before they are led into captivity, the Lord comes and he says, my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. That's who Jesus is. He's not only the tree, he's also the branch, he's he's everything, but he's also the river. He's also the river of living water. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and they've hewn for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. And that's really what we do throughout life. We're always looking for something other than Jesus. Why is that? Why is man always looking for something other than Christ? Isn't it true that if you don't have Christ in your life, you will fill your life with something and anything else? And the devil is more than happy to accommodate you. He's got a whole uh, treasure trove of things that you can fill your life with. You can fill your life with a career, with a relationship, with illicit drugs, illicit sex. You can do anything you want. And he's got, a, he's got his little coat open. You know, It's like when you go down to the Bahamas and you get off the, the plane or you get off on the, the little tram to go somewhere. And the first thing you see are those guys with the, you know holding out the jackets trying to sell you a watch that's fake. But Jesus is the fountain of living waters. It's one-stop shopping with him because you go to him and you get everything. Everything. All your soul is satisfied. And you know that. For those of you who know him, you know that that is the truth. And I know that too. And I'm so blessed because of it. In John chapter 7, He says, he who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water, the very spirit of God in us and through us. And John, when he spoke to the woman at the well, he said, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never thirst, but the water that I shall give will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. Do you have the spirit of God in you? Do you know that you have the Spirit of God in you? Do you know that you're a child of God? Have the assurance. You can have the assurance. Don't walk around with the question mark. And the psalmist in Psalm 1 tells us the blessedness of those who delight themselves in the law of the Lord. And what does he say? He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. Do you delight in the law of the Lord? Do you delight in the word of God? I don't know, do you? Yeah, me too. It's nice to get an amen every now and then. It makes makes sure everybody's awake. Or maybe you need to have another sip of coffee. But do you desire for your life to be fruitful? Yeah, I do. The life that God has given us is precious. And it doesn't even belong to us. He gave it to us. And if he has done all that he has done for you and I, uh, isn't it my reasonable service then to give him everything? To give him my life back? I think it is. And the reason I don't do that is because I don't quite comprehend that. But the more I comprehend that truth, the more I am willing to yield everything. Yield your life to Christ. Let him be the fountain of living waters to you. Let him be the tree that you abide in. May you be the branch that hangs and abides on the vine, receiving all the nutrients, all that you need, all the encouragement, all the strength, and the grace and the mercy, the compassion, the forgiveness, everything. Receive it from Him who is the tree. He is the vine. He's the central part of it. Notice that the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Now, this is a very difficult passage, and I won't make. And I will. I'll be honest with you. It is kind of difficult because we know. That in the next verse we're going to read, we we read it earlier, that in the New Jerusalem there's going to be no curse. So what is this deal about the healing of the nations? Those who have been saved in the New Jerusalem, why are they going to need a tree for healing? And I believe the answer is in the Greek language of this word called healing. It's therapia, where we get therapy from. And perhaps a better way to look at it is not so much about healing, but health giving. and, And not even that it's necessary. Uh, I'll I'll quote to you something that I read that I thought really kind of nailed it on the head. It's by John uh, MacArthur. He said, The leaves of the tree promote the enjoyment of life in in the New Jerusalem and are not for correcting ills that do not exist. Because we know that when the curse is lifted, there's going to be no more death. There's going to be no more sorrow, no more crying, no more sickness. But yet there's this tree in the midst of the garden. And it's there for us for the nations, for healing, or for, to promote health, actually, health-giving. Not that we need it, per se, but it's there to enjoy if we want to. I kind of like that, because I like to eat. Do you like to eat? While it is not necessary for believers in the eternal state to sustain life in any way by physical means, they can enjoy which, that which the tree provides, and I like that answer, and that's the best we can do. We'll figure it out when we get there. I don't really care, to be honest with you. The fact that it's there, I'm glad. And I'll gladly partake of the water. And I'll gladly partake of the trees. The tree of life. And so will you. And there'll be no problems. We'll live forever and ever. I love that. But the curse, notice verse 3, there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. But this curse, you may be wondering, well, what is the curse? Well, you remember in Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve fell into sin, Eve was beguiled by the Satan through the serpent. And what did God say to the serpent? Finally, after all of this was exposed, he said to the serpent, because you've done this, you are cursed, notice, above all cattle. That's why when we see a snake, the first thing we want to do is find a shovel. That's, that's the way we respond. Does anybody like snakes? I mean, the vast majority of people are like, you know, if we didn't have them, that would be really nice. You're thinking about that camping trip, aren't you, Scott? Because you've done this, he says to the serpent, you are cursed above more than cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go. He must have been on his feet at that point. That would be kind of interesting. Have you thought about that? It's good to ask questions. On your belly you shall go, and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. I will put enmity your hatred between you and the woman and between your seed, the demonic beings, and her seed, singular, Jesus Christ. And he shall bruise your head. He's going to crush you, and it's going to be a mortal wound. But devil, you will bruise his heel. We see it in the resurrection, or in the, in the crucifixion. He didn't destroy Jesus, just a minor flesh wound. But he rose again. And to the woman, he said, and this is part of the curse, ladies, when you have children, that's because of the curse, or the, the pain anyway, not the children, better qualify that statement, or maybe, you know, if the shoe fits, I don't know, maybe sometimes you feel like your children are a curse. I'm really glad you laughed because uh, you guys are getting awfully quiet. I was but to the woman, he says, I will greatly multiply what? Your sorrow and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. That's what the curse did. And to, the man, and to Adam, he said, because you've heeded the voice of your wife instead of me. He wasn't obedient. Guys, remember yesterday we were talking about obedience? <laughs> Because you have heeded, you've obeyed the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree, which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it will bring forth for you, and you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. That is the curse. That is the nature of fallen life on this planet. That's why we have to work so hard. Have you ever thought about evolution? Evolution says it's just the opposite. But why is everything degrading and we have to work so hard to keep order? If evolution was true, then it would be evolving into something much greater. But things are actually breaking down. It's the second and third law of thermodynamics. That's visible. something we can see. Corrosion, decay. That's what happens. None of this evolution nonsense. And yet, they teach it in schools, here in Penfield. Hallelujah. Can you believe it? And your tax dollars support it. Help, Lord. Our tax dollars. Pray for those kids. Unlike the millennium, The millennium is going to be a great place for us, but the curse is only going to be partially lifted because we know that even though people will live long, there will be death. There will be skirmishes from time to time. And we won't live forever, or or at least the people at that time who who came into the the, uh, millennium, who are not in their new bodies, they, they they will die. They'll live long lives. But you and I will live forever. But in the new Jerusalem... No more curse. No more death. Those verses that we read, no more crying. All of that will come to pass. That will be the end for us. The end state, the final state. Notice in verse 4, They shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads. When a name is placed on something, it speaks of ownership. When you have a book or something like that, ladies or guys, you have that little stamp or you have like a rubber stamp and you stamp your name in the book, that means that book belongs to me. And that's what God does. He puts a, a sign on you. Farmers do this with their cattle. They brand their cattle with a certain sign. So out in Texas, as they're roaming around, they can look at the, the back part of a cattle and say, oh, that belongs to Rob Kellogg. That beautiful Angus beef, that belongs to him. And God puts the same mark upon you, a a mark of ownership. You belong to him. What a master to have. Isn't he a good master? Has he been bad to you or has he been good to you? He's been very good to me. I'm very glad. In Revelation 7, remember, God sealed the 144,000 Jews and he sealed them in their foreheads. And in fact, it says, uh, one angel said to the four angels, says, do not harm the earth, the sea, or the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. These were these 144,000 that God was going to preserve through the tribulation to be ambassadors for him during that time. And he sealed them, a stamp of ownership, and you and I will be stamped as well. And I love that. And in fact, in Revelation, what was the promise that he gave to the church at Philadelphia? He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more. And here it is. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God, and I will write on him my new name. The very name of Jesus is going to be on you. You belong to him. I love the fact that I belong to him now. And There's coming a day where I'm going to get that stamp. I'm going to get that mark. I'm going to belong to him, and I already do. And notice in verse five, there shall be no night there. Anybody been to Alaska? From what I understand, there are certain times of the year where they don't have they don't have any night at all. It's like 22 hours, 23 hours of pure. Or is it, is it the other way around? I forget. Is it the other way around? It's dark. Well, somewhere, it's just the opposite on the earth. Yeah, so, you know, the the idea is there's going to be no night there. No night there, because the Lamb will be the light. There'll be no need for a lamp, nor the light of the sun, for the Lord God gives them light, and they shall reign forever and ever and notice in verse 6 then he said to me these words are faithful and true and the lord god of the holy prophets sent his angel to show his servants the things which must shortly take place and you have to remember that even though this was written over nearly 2000 years ago and these things haven't come to pass in god's perspective this has it's it's a short time for him, although it seems very long for you and I because we live in time. He lives outside of time. In Second Peter three verse eight it says, "Beloved, do not forget this one thing: that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day." Time goes by with God, and to us, it seems slow. In Hebrew, it says, "For yet a little while, and He who is coming will come, and notice He will not tarry." It seems like a long time for us, but for God, it's just a short time. And notice in verse seven, He says, "Behold, I am coming quickly." Blessed is He who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. And the idea of this phrase—it could be better translated because, you know, when you think about two thousand years, nearly that this hasn't come to pass yet. It's unfortunate because when it says, I am coming quickly, it makes you think that when he wrote this, he was expecting to come back quickly at that time. But what it means is that when he comes, he will come suddenly and without warning. That's really a better way to translate that. When he comes quickly, he, when, when he comes, when this all comes to pass, it's going to happen very sudden and it's going to happen without warning, without warning And I think, again, it's interesting, as we looked at verse 6 and and 7 here, we compare this with what we saw in the very first part of this book, in Revelation chapter 1. It says, blessed is he that reads, this is verse 3 of chapter 1, blessed is he that reads and that they... And they that hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. Does that sound very familiar with what we're just reading now? There's a blessing attached to this book, to the hearing of it, to the reading of it. There's a blessing. I've often wondered why... More churches, more pastors don't teach the book of Revelation. I understand it's a very intimidating book. There's a lot we don't understand. And you know, honestly, if we only taught, if pastors only taught the things that they completely understood, there'd be very large portions of the Bible that we wouldn't share. (laughs) Including the book of Revelation. Yes, there are things that are a mystery to us. Who are these hordes that are coming from the abyss in 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 the tribulation period? You know, we've talked about what, what, they, what they are, we believe. But there's a mystery. We don't have it all down. And just because we don't completely grasp and understand something, does that keep us from sharing it? Especially when the, when the Bible tells us that there's a blessing attached to hearing it and reading it. Shouldn't everybody be reading the book of Revelation every year? Yeah, I think they should. Because there is a blessing and now I, John, verse 8, saw and heard these things, and when I heard and I saw, I fell down. And I love the heart of John. I fell down when I heard these things, and I, and I worshiped before the feet of the angel who showed me this thing, these things. And, you know, it is hard to understand. To be in the presence of even an angel of God would cause us all to be in complete awe. And yet these are just servants of God. Imagine standing in his presence and just feeling your knees just involuntarily just buckling under the weight of his glory. You don't even have to think about it. I think it would just happen. And that's the amazing thing. And here John is so overwhelmed by all of this. He just, he just his natural instinct is just to worship anything. Just put somebody in my place in this angelic scene that I'm in, because I'm blown out. And I don't blame the man, even though he wasn't right to do it. And the angel, thank God, verse 9 says, See that you uh, see that you do not that, for I am your fellow servant, and of your brethren, the prophets, and of those who keep the words, of this book worship God that's the exhortation and John this happened to him in in Revelation 19 as well it says and I fell at his feet to worship him but he said to me see that you do it not I'm your fellow servant your brethren and have the testimony of Jesus worship God John twice in this situation falls and he worships the angel because he's so blown away he's so blown away and I pray that we would get blown away And true angels of God are not going to accept worship. True angels of God. There's one angel who wants to receive worship. Do you know what his name is? Lucifer. Satan. He wants to receive worship. He's the only one who will want to receive it. But any true angel of God is going to say what this angel said to John. See that you do it not. Worship God. Don't worship me. I'm a fellow servant. And he said to me, verse 10, "'Do not seal the words of the prophecy of this book, "'for the time is at hand.'" You remember at the at the very end of the book of Daniel, in Daniel chapter 12, after God had given him such a wonderful picture of prophecy, extending all the way from not only the time that he was alive, but going all the way into the millennial reign of Christ. At the end of the book of Daniel, this is what it says. The angel said to him, Go your way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed till the time of the end. Sealed till the time of the end. But now, in the book of Revelation, the angel, as he is unfolding these things before John, he says, do not seal the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. When Daniel gave his prophecy, that was over 2,600 years ago. But now, in the first century, John is being spoken to, and he says, now, I want you to proclaim this. It's coming soon. From our perspective, it's been 2,000 years so far. But it's coming. Do you believe it? I believe it. God has never lied to me. He never can lie. He is not the author of lies. We know who that is. But He's faithful and true. Isn't that not one of His titles? Can you trust God? I would encourage you, for those who are listening or watching or, or here today, search and see. Is he faithful? Is he true? If he is, then serve him with all of your heart. If he is not, then you find something else. But I can tell you that he is the solution. No one like him. People search the world over to find that hole, to fill that hole in their heart. They search Buddhism, they search Hinduism, they search all kinds of different religions and factions and weird kind of things, and yet the only one that makes sense is a loving God who paid the price for you. You don't have to do anything for him to earn. He's done it all for you. We simply receive it by faith and walk in the the glory of it and his promises, Notice in verse 11, he who is unjust, let him be unjust still. He who is filthy, let him be filthy still. That sounds kind of funny, doesn't it? Because it's like, no, that that's not really good. That's not really good. But then it goes on, and says, he who is righteous, let him be righteous still. He who is holy, let him be holy still. And people who don't listen to the prophecy of this book, here's the reason behind this. They will continue in their wickedness. If you don't listen to the prophecy of, that, of, of this book, you will continue in your own wickedness. But for those of us who do know the Lord, we are going to continue in righteousness. We're going to be righteous still because we, we walk in him. And we will be holy because he is holy. In verse 12 it says, And behold, I am coming quickly again. When he comes quickly, it will happen suddenly without warning. And my reward is with me to give everyone according to his work. That speaks of the the Bema Seat judgment. We've already talked a lot about that over the time we've been in Revelation. That judgment for believers, not a a bad judgment, not a judgment of going to heaven or hell, but you're already in heaven. Do you understand that 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 Bema Seat judgment is not a judgment in the sense that you and I think of it. You're not going to be judged and, and be pounded and kicked out of glory. It doesn't happen that way. No, it's for the things that you've done since you've been saved. You're going to be rewarded for the things that you've done. And you will lose reward for the things that God put on your heart that you didn't do. Or the things that weren't of his heart at all that you didn't do. You'll lose reward, but you will be saved. And you'll be eternally in his presence. But there will be rewards. The Bible clearly says that in Second Corinthians, again, just by way of review, Jesus says, When I come, my reward is with me, because when he takes us off the earth and we meet him in the clouds, that this judgment will take place. It says, Therefore we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well pleasing to him, for we must all appear. Notice that Paul is including himself. We must all appear before the judgment seat, the bima seat. That's what judgment seat means. In the Greek it's bima. It's from the Greek games. We will all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. And we'll be rewarded for those good things. And we won't be rewarded for those things that weren't of him. seems fair, doesn't it? In verse 13, he says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. This wonderful phrase, just speaking of Jesus Christ. And finally, verse 14, blessed are those who do his commandments and that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the the gates into the city. I don't know if you knew this, but there were Beatitudes in the book of Revelation. Anytime you see where it says blessed are or blessed is, it reminds us of... Matthew 5-7, through the Beatitudes. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. There are Beatitudes, seven of them, actually, in the book of Revelation. We're not going to go through them, but these are the places where they are written, and this is one of them. In Revelation 22, verse 14 here, this is one of those. Blessed are those who do his commandments, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates of the city. Notice it's not just enough to know Knowing is good, but if knowing does nothing but fill our head, then it really doesn't accomplish what it's supposed to. We're supposed to hear it with the intention of doing something about it. That's why in James it says, Be doers of the word, not hearers only, because if we are hearers only, then we deceive ourselves. A lot of people have head knowledge about God, but they don't do anything about it. And then they wonder why their life is so stale. They wonder why their Christianity is so stale and crusty because they've taken in a lot, but they don't do anything with it. Does that sound like you, perhaps? Has it sounded like you, maybe, at some point in your, in your time, in your walk with the Lord, where you've just kind of been receiving and receiving, but you don't do anything with what you, what you know to do? And you get kind of bored and you get kind of stale. You, you, you become like the Dead Sea. There's nothing coming. You're getting all the stuff coming in, but nothing's going out. And you become stagnant. And see, God would not have that for us. That's why it's important that we can't just listen. We can't just take in all the facts. We've got to take it in and then do something with it. In our own life, first, and in the lives and everywhere, everywhere around us. That's why Paul says, Walk circumspectly, not as fools, seeing the time is, you know, the, the days are evil and the time is short. Walk circumspectly. Are you aware of what's going on around you? How can you make an impact for good in everything that's around you? Blessed are those those who do his commandments. Again, no condemnation here. But we must do something with what we know. We have to share it. Are you afraid to share the gospel? Are you afraid to share the good news with people? It's not an easy thing. You'd think that with a message that we carry, it would be easy. But we know that we are fighting not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness in high places. That's why it's hard. And you know you can feel it. You know how you can feel it? You go up to somebody today and walk right up to them and say, the Lord just want me to tell you that Jesus loves you. The resistance that you feel to do that will show you the reality of this battle. Everything in you is going to scream, don't do it, you're going to sound like a fool. Right? I know this. And when you talk to them about coming judgment and also the, 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 the salvation and the rapture, You may think that that's going to sound foolish to them, and that's okay. It may sound foolish to them, but it's the truth. And when you share that truth, you're going to feel it. You're going to feel the resistance. You know you do. That's why you don't do it. That's why I don't do it sometimes. And that's why we we, we don't do it, because we feel that, and we don't want to appear to be foolish, because we're so concerned. I can be so concerned about my personality, my reputation, if I even have one. I'm so concerned about myself. I'm so concerned about my own sense of what are people thinking of me? What do they think of me? And I can almost hear the Holy Spirit saying, going, you mean everything to me, but they don't care. You mean everything to me, Rob. But don't worry about what other people think of you. My estimation of you should be the only thing that matters ever, ever. And yet for people that I see maybe once or twice a year or maybe I'll meet somebody and never see them again. Am I unwilling to share the truth because of how it makes me feel that it makes me feel awkward? Lord, burn a hole in our heart. Mine too. You see folks, that's why we need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's why we need to ask God to do that work in us. We have to ask him for that boldness because it doesn't come from within. It comes from him. And unless we have that boldness, that holy, loving, loving boldness, we are going to be strapped in our fears and we won't say a thing. Think about that. Pray about that. Notice in verse 15, but outside are dogs and sorcerers and sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and whoever loves and practices a lie. Now, what this means is that obviously in the new heavens, new earth, new Jerusalem, outside is the lake of fire. We we don't know where that's going to be. I I doubt it'll be visible to us, but outside of this place that God is going to prepare for us, outside in that place are going to be those who are the dogs, the sorcerers and sexually immoral. And and when it talks of dogs, it doesn't doesn't talk about the animal, okay? A dog is really somebody of low character who are unwilling to change. Men and women of impure minds and sorcerers. It speaks of certainly somebody who is involved in magical arts, maybe witchcraft, but it also speaks of drug abusers. Pharmakia, pharmakos is the name there in the Greek, and that's where we get pharmacy, People who are drug abusers, drug addicts, selling drugs, taking drugs, who never repent from those things, they will spend their time outside, are going to be those, the sexually immoral. It's the word pornos. That's where we get the word pornography. And this speaks of male prostitutes. Fornication's no different in God's eyes than homosexuality. It's all sin. These are those who are without side. Notice in verse 16, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and the morning star. Jesus came from the line of Judah. And it, it spells that out for us in Matthew chapter 1, the first 17 verses. And notice in verse 17, And the Spirit and the bride say, Come, and him who hears say, Come. And let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. See, God is always inviting. The Spirit of God and you and I, the bride of Christ, what are we saying to the world around us that's dead in their trespass and sins? Come, come. If you're thirsty, come. And that's the, the invitation of God always is to come, come. Come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. How often have we heard that over the last several weeks? Come out from among them and be separate, from religions of the world that are completely Christ-less. Come out from among them and be saved. Come out and if you're thirsty. take of the water of life freely. If you're a sinner, you qualify. And you know what? Praise God, I qualify. You know why? Because I'm a sinner. <laughs> I qualify for something. I get a certificate of showing up. I was accepted because I'm a sinner. Just like you. We are accepted in the beloved. And now he gives a warning, verse 18: For I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. And I don't know about you, but as we've been going through it, these plagues are getting old. These plagues are horrible, wouldn't you agree? Don't want to be around for that. I don't want anybody, even my worst enemy, if I have a worst enemy. My worst enemy is the devil. If anyone adds to these, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. He's very serious. Uh, Going all the way back to Deuteronomy chapter 4, what did the Lord speaking through Moses tell the children of Israel? You shall not add to the word which I command you, nor take from it. Same idea, same principle, the God, same yesterday and today and forever, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you. Which I command you. Other verses too in Deuteronomy 12. Whatever I command you, be careful to observe it you shall not add to it nor take away from it in proverbs 35 verse 6 every word of god is pure he is a shield to those who put their trust in him do not add to his words lest he rebuke you and you be found a liar Again, why is it that churches don't teach the book of Revelation? Why do pastors don't have, why don't they have the courage to do it? Granted, there's a lot that I don't know, but you know what? If God tells me to teach it, I better teach it. And i love to teach it, honestly. But there's a lot of mystery, but it's all good. I'm not worried about the things, those kinds of things. Just share it, teach it. There's whole denominations that stay away from this book. And yet God says... Don't take away anything from it. In other words, why are you not teaching it? Pastors in this country, why are you not teaching this book? Why are you intimidated? I, I was intimidated at first, but you know what? You've got, you got to do it. And it's a great book. I've been richly blessed by reading this book. Have you been richly blessed? I mean, honestly, I, I mean, I don't know, you know, don't answer out loud because maybe you're thinking to yourself, you know what, a death and judgment, we've seen a lot of that. I'm, and especially during a pandemic when everything was falling apart in our country, certainly didn't help, did it? <laughs> but it was timely. It was timely. What does it say in Revelation 1? Again, the blessing. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy. We have read it together and you have heard it. And keep those things, there it is, do something with it. It's not only so much so that you read it and that you hear it but you keep those things in other words you do something with it you keep those things which are written in it for why because the time is near we are closer now than ever before and notice what Jesus says he who testifies of these things says surely i come surely i'm coming quickly and then John finishes it even amen even so come lord jesus the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Amen. We're going to take communion in a few moments. You know, this book has been, honestly, the greatest, one of the greatest blessings of my life. You know, as we've read it from there, you know, what we just read, it is a blessing. It's been a blessing to me. It's enriched me greatly to go through it with you, and especially in the time in our country's history, when we've experienced some of the hardest things, the darkest things, it's been great to go through it. I'm going to miss it, actually. But even me personally, going through some of the most difficult times of my life this year, that we've, we started in the book of Revelation in February of last year, and we've been in it for just a little over a year. And even personally, just the things that not only we as a congregation, we as a country, me and my family personally, what we went through during that time, will never forget it. Sarah, if you could lead us. As we worship, uh, come forward and take of the cup and bring it back to your seat and we'll take it together, okay? Amen, Lord. We thank you that you are the great King of kings, the Lord of lords. and Lord, thank you for what you did on the cross nearly 2,000 years ago. Lord, we would be forever indebted to you for all that you've done and and yet, Lord, we don't even really understand completely the, the depth and the breadth and the height of what you've done for us and, and for the glories that even await us. Lord, it is really too much. Who's sufficient for these things? And so, Lord, we, we take this bread this morning just mindful, Lord, of how your body was broken as they pierced your hands and your feet and the, the crown of thorns on your head and the spear in your side and for all of the suffering, Lord, that you accomplished the scourging. And yet, Lord, to know that of all the physical horror of all of that that you did, Lord, it was nothing compared to what happened in the heavens that we could not see the reality of our sin being atoned for once and for all and and to know at that very moment lord as you hung on the cross you must have looked down through the through time and lord it says that the joy that was set before him he endured the pain of the cross despising its shame, but knowing there was no other way. There was no other way. And so, Lord, we take this bread in remembrance of you, and we thank you for going to the cross for us, for me, and my brothers and sisters. We remember you. In Jesus' name, let's take, let's partake. And again, after Jesus did that, he, they passed around a cup of wine, They took a sip out of it each. And Jesus said, this is the blood of my new covenant. When at that time, he hadn't even gone to the cross yet. But he knew the the mission that God had sent. And the Bible says that he was obedient unto death. He knew his mission. He knew what he had to do. And he did it willingly. He was no martyr. He willingly laid down his life for you and me. And the blood that was spilled on the cross... the very blood of God very unique only the blood of Christ would do and Lord we take this in remembrance of you let's partake what a blessing